fantasy football facts for you to memorize, not only to win in week five, but beyond that. This is our stats versus film show. The core of it is Hayden Winks's fantasy usage model. That's the nerd shit. We also bring in the film to put context to all these stats as well. Hayden, when we just had a week like we did in the NFL where running back depth charts flipped, where new quarterbacks, wide receiver situations changed a little bit. Um, I think that this show is more important than ever in those environments. Yeah, there's uncertainty. Whenever there's uncertainty, that's when people need stats and film and coach quotes and everything. So we embrace the uncertainty that makes people tune into the show. We love it. If this is your first time, because I know so many of you watch this show for the first time on our channel, be sure to subscribe. We've got great content on Sundays, great content on Mondays, on Thursdays and Fridays, so on and so forth. So if you like it for any moment, leave a thumbs up and hit that subscribe button down below. We're actually going to start here in backwards order, as Hayden Winks promised. We're going to go team by team, and we kick it off with the Washington Commanders. Um, Jahan Dotson, a really solid rookie season start for him. He's set to miss one to two weeks with a hamstring injury. Does this make us any more optimistic, Hayden, for, for Terry McLaurin? Because Terry McLaurin's season where he was picked as around the wide receiver 16 so far hasn't been fantastic outside of that week three contest when he went nine for six for 102 yards. So part of the reason why Terry McLaurin has been struggling is because Jahan Dotson has been hogging up all the touchdowns. He's actually leading uh, in the metric touchdowns over expected. He scored 2.7 more touchdowns than you would expect. So that's been hurting Terry McLaurin. Curtis Samuel being the underneath schemed up player yep. has hurt Terry McLaurin so far this season. There's been eight screens to Curtis Samuel, only three to Terry McLaurin. But I think the big thing what's happening with Terry McLaurin this season is he's only a deep threat. We know that he can win deep, but right now he's tied for the NFL in 15 plus air yard targets. And the problem is, is he's not getting anything underneath. In fact, uh, 59% of his targets have been deep targets. He's lost the intermediate game. He's lost the underneath game, probably because Curtis Samuel. So will Dotson's absence help McLaurin? Yes, there's less target competition. That's a good thing. Does it mean that he's going to get a bunch of screen game work? Right. Probably not because Jahan Dotson wasn't getting that either. And it's only a one to two week absence that we know of right now. Maybe it extends more than there. But to your point, Jahan Dotson has been extremely efficient inside the red zone this season, caught all three of his red zone targets for touchdowns. Terry McLaurin also has three red zone targets and has zero touchdowns to show for it. The other aspect of this is the offensive line issues. Um, Washington is going downhill in depth in that department. They've lost Sam Cosme, their right tackle, suffered a hand injury. He's going to be out for multiple weeks. They already lost Chase Roulier, their starting center, for the rest of the season, basically after surgery. We already talked about this Washington offensive line heading into the season where they really outperformed their individual talent last year, probably due to coaching. But when now you miss pieces, you miss starters, and you go to backups with already a, a lack of a talented offensive line and compound that with a quarterback that loves to plant his feet, double pump and throw down the field and or just get sacked and take sacks in the pocket, then it you know, hurt someone like Terry McLaurin and how they're utilizing him, like you said, as purely a vertical player. 
I didn't get a chance to clip it, but I just watched the Washington game. And it's like you said, to me, it feels like Carson Wentz is turning more into Carson Wentz and the offensive yes. line is not holding up like it was last year or maybe in week one he when he was balling out. There's a couple throws downfield where Trevon Diggs had great plays on Terry McLaurin, one in the end zone, a couple uh, interceptions down there as well. To me, Carson Wentz just isn't, very good. And I think the offensive line started to, to cave in a little bit. So not that optimistic for Terry McLaurin. I still think that he's a boom bust flex option. I would, I will. And I have been ranking Curtis Samuel ahead of him, especially in full PPR, just because to it's me, the he's easy a button. schemed up stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's the easy button. They want to bring up Brian Robinson. There's some winnable games here for the commanders moving forward with the Titans and the bears in their next two contests. Brian Robinson is eligible to come back in week five. Ron Rivera speaking as if Brian Robinson is going to come back in week five. I just outlined the offensive line issues that is directly impacted and impacts, I should say, the, the running situation. Um, this goes from somewhat of a two-person backfield, how we started the season, to a three-person backfield this past weekend. And now Brian Robinson will continue making it a three-person backfield as well. So as much as I, I really enjoyed Brian Robinson, especially near the line of scrimmage and making people miss and um, creating yards that are kind of difficult for other backs out there. He's going to have to really prove it to have probably a, a higher standing in your fancy usage model moving forward than what Antonio Gibson already has right now. Yeah, we're talking about what an average at best offense, and I think they're going to be chopping up three ways. So I think it's probably a time to have no Washington commanders running backs. Tennessee Titans, major changes to their backfield group. Not that... Derrick Henry is being replaced, but the different types of, of output that Derrick Henry has to his game now. So we know that the Titans opened 0-2 this season with a combined 27 points scored by their offense. One target for Derrick Henry in that span of time. Since there's been an obvious emphasis to get him going in the receiving game. Um, he has six and five targets over the last two weeks, equaling 91 extra yards of total offense. They're 2-0 with 48 points scored in those games. I think that this is going to continue with Derrick Henry because I think their play caller said, hey, let's try to get him certain ways on the edge and get him out in space because with Terry Lewan missing, our run blocking is not going to be as good as it has been the past few years. Totally agree. Yeah, on pace for a career high 51 targets, which isn't like record shattering, but um, it definitely is an improvement and we'll keep him as an RB uh one right now he's RB eleven in fantasies. I I'm with you. I just don't think this offense is ever going to be very good. But Taylor one out. I mm. view this as a bottom five offensive line. Derrick Henry still looks fine to me. Like he still looks explosive for the most part, and he is catching some more passes. So I will be ranking him as an RB one for the rest of the season. I just don't think we'll ever see like the peak Derrick Henry numbers just because there's less goal line opportunities in this offense. Just because you know, they're not scoring as many points. But isn't this slightly different? Like this was always the concern of taking Derrick Henry in round one is that we never saw consistent, even more than four targets in a contest. Right. So I'm not going to say he's going to get, you know, six and five every single week, but some of these plays are designed for him. They're screens. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you always talk about not typecast as a between the tackles runner, but we want to get him out in space. Like we want to yes. give him the edge because he just barrels forward and picks up huge gains. This is an easier way to do that once again than relying on just the offensive line front to create it for him. Like this one, it's extended handoff basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think this is a positive. Uh, it's just like we're swapping some touchdowns probably for a couple more targets. So that's right. 
more or less a it, wash. It can help him stay afloat, eye. even if the Titans completely yeah. suck versus what they did last year. Yeah, it definitely helps his floor just a little bit. Traylon Burke's going to be out for extended period of time. Uh, Nick Westbrook-Akini, and most of my metrics, is near the very bottom in terms of rankings. I think what happens here is Kyle Phillips will get some run. I think it's just Robert Woods um, going to keep going up and up my fantasy rankings just because there's nobody else to throw the ball to. Uh, they haven't been using Robert Woods as like a full-time player and stuff, probably because of that ACL injury, but we're at the point now. I think they have no choice, but to get him some out, get him some more targets, at least four receptions in the last four games for Robert Woods. As you outlined, Traylon Burks is expected to miss some time with that turf toe and turf toe sounds small. It's massive. Mm-hmm. Like it lingers for a very long time. And Robert Woods is being used differently since he really has been since the 2018 season. He's a 10 and a half a dot right now. That's the highest it's been again since 2018. It's these deep play action shots that we've seen Brian Tannehill hit with AJ Brown in the past. He's not as full time of a player as we have seen uh, AJ Brown be, but at least that this is something to keep us going and high value targets in some ways deeper down the field versus the stuff close to the line of scrimmage, which might be meaningless on a bad team. Yeah, just to show how little volume there is in this offense, all four of the Titans wide receivers are outside the top 70 in expected half PPR points. So that will change. I think that Robert Woods will probably settle in closer to like the 40s uh, while Burks is sidelined. But yeah, there's just no passing volume in this offense right now. Someone on Twitter pointed out that all 48 points that they've scored in these last two games have been in first halves, I believe. And that's it. They're scoring a touchdown on 90% of their red zone drives. Right now, the Tennessee Titans, they're also the only team that has scored an opening drive touchdown in each of their four games so far this season. So they get four quarters of that. Maybe I just was too far down the Titans, but I don't want to say that out loud. I think I think one of those metrics will regress closer <laughs> to the bigger size sample. What you don't think they're going to go 17 for 17 in first quarter we'll or see. first drive touchdowns? We'll see. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We saw a huge switch in this team's offense as well. First three weeks, offensive line injuries, wide receiver injuries. What did we see in week four, Hayden? Because Tom Brady threw the ball 52 times. Yeah, when they were trailing, then they had to pass the ball a ton. I still think Tom Brady looks good. I think my biggest notes from this game was one, we have uh, Chris Godwin going back into a full-time role. He didn't have a great game, but immediately goes up to the wide receiver 21 in fantasy usage. Uh, Russell Gage, to me, isn't healthy, but he's still playing over Julio Jones. Julio Jones runs uh, 30% routes. Russell Gage, 65%. Of course, Mike Evans is balling out as usual. I think the big takeaway from this game, though, is we're seeing a little bit different usage when it comes to the running back position. Uh, We have some clips of Rashad White, but I think uh, it's kind of aiming towards the Khalil Herbert, David Montgomery route, where we have two drives for Leonard Fournette, one drive for Rashad White. I think what's really promising for the Rashad White people, and he should be rostered literally in every single uh, league out there, is he's playing full drives. They're getting him out, catching the ball in space because he's definitely faster and more athletic than Leonard Fournette is. But right here, this clip, they got him at the goal line for the entire time. They That was a third down carry right there. They kept him in. This isn't a situational rotation. This is drive-by-drive drive basis, and that means that they trust Rashad White and all situations that's super promising for Rashad white Leonard Fournette can't make anybody miss in the, in the open field. He had a, a pretty bad blown balk in pass protection. I'm not assuming that there's going to be a, a total flipping here, but I'm not surprised that this is a two for one drive by drive rotation. I think Rashad white is one of the elite insurance options in fantasy. 
five catches for 50 yards. We always outline coming out of Arizona State how dynamic of a receiver Rashad White is. We've seen these types of running backs have huge seasons, huge stretches of seasons uh, connected to Tom Brady. It's most telling that he gets a full series like you outlined. That means Tom Brady trusts him, man. Like that is so important. And a full flippening, like you said, is unlikely because Leonard Fournette hasn't looked bad, just has kind of looked like Leonard Fournette. But Hayden, when coupled with a worse offensive line and no wide receivers that are helping you also block down the field, Leonard Fournette is going to be worse. You know, like he they need the Chris Godwins, the Mike Evans to and missing Gronk to get down the field second level and seal off plays. Like it's a huge difference, though, of Leonard Fournette having 90% of the snaps. Mm And now to 70 to 65% of the snaps, especially in certain phases of the game. If the Bucs, like we outlined, once they do get healthier along the offensive line, once they are healthier like they are now at wide receiver, we could see Tom Brady throw for 40, 45, 50 times a game. And to me, that makes him fantasy relevant for the rest of the season too, after you probably ditched him in the first three weeks. Yeah, with Leonard Fournette, he's not making anybody miss. He's still doing the classic Leonard Fournette things. Uh, He's hitting the right holes, all that stuff. The big thing, the difference right now is Last year, the Buccaneers' tight ends were able to block. Yeah. Man, Cam and Brayton, all these young tight ends, they just can't seal anything. There's been so many plays just getting blown up because the tight ends aren't blocking very well. And Leonard Fournette is not the type of, that's going to be making defenders miss. So, yeah, last, last week it was a season-low 10.3 expected half PPR points for Leonard Fournette. I will still be ranking him as a top 15 fantasy running back, but I think Rashad White at least gets into like closer to like RB 35-40 rather than like RB 50. And I still recommend if he's out there in waivers, I know we have a lot of other names to go through. Rashad white still would be my number one ad just because I think he has top 10 fantasy potential. Uh, if something happened to Leonard Fournette design screen on third and short, he had for himself that Insta check down that Brady had once he had to get rid of it. He stayed in for that goal line work. And it was even after a timeout quarter change, it wasn't like Leonard Fournette just tried out there for, for that snap. Hugely, hugely important. Seattle Seahawks, big Rashad Penny week, easy to call on our end, Um, multiple reasons. The Lions were last in rush DVOA by a large margin heading into the contest. It's even larger after that game. Um, Let's talk about Rashad Penny and if that this is the type of performance that can be compounded moving forward when they have teams like the Saints and the Cardinals coming up. So usage wise, it is this like two for one rotation. You see Rashad Penny, Rashad Penny. And then here comes Ken Walker, Rashad Penny, Ken Walker going back and forth. Uh, Rashad Penny looked explosive. They had a couple huge gashes against a, a pretty bad defensive, li- uh, defensive line for the Lions. Um, I think the big takeaway here is they're not using a third running back anymore. So that's a positive for both Rashad Penny and Ken Walker. And they're both uh, rotating drives. I mean, they're kind of trusted in all situations, but. It's Geno Smith time, man. Like, we're going to have to get to him. I know you want to talk about Rashad Penny first, but the Geno Smith stuff's incredible. Yeah, we'll get to Geno in just a sec. Final thought on Rashad Penny. Again, this was an easy call, and this was the game for you to draft him because of how bad the Lions are up front. By far and again away, the worst defensive line and run-stuffing unit in the league. The Saints are 13th in that in run D DVOA. The Cardinals are shockingly 11th, thanks to the J.J. Watt-Zach Allen combination that they have up front. So as much as we love the end of the season last year and his final six starts for Rashad Penny, as much as we love this one, um, it's possible that it continues. But 
again, I don't think it's completely easy to overlook what we saw for the first three games. Um, the only big difference, as Hayden outlined, is that Travis Homer's on injured reserve, so we're not having that third person check in, which is big for both backs. It's yeah, Rashad Penny's season high, 49% routes, and I think Ken Walker is potentially a post-by-rookie bump candidate at worst. Right now, he's a strong insurance option. He caught a couple passes despite having no hands again. Um, so he's just w- working things out. But Geno Smith, first in completion percentage over expected by a landslide. It's not even close. And this offense is legit fun to watch. Geno Smith is spamming these play action bootleg flood concepts where it's just reading one half of the field. He is accurate. He's throwing the ball downfield. He has the weapons. Tyler uh, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are balling out of their mind. I think the Seahawks offensive line has played pretty well given how little talent they have on paper. But Geno Smith is doing a little bit of everything. He's, He's creating with his legs. And the guy is always on time and accurate. And when you have the playmakers to do it and you have the scheme, right? Like right now, tons of play action passes, some throws down the field to me, this is like, he's not going to like sustain like these numbers, obviously, but this is like a functional offense. Like we we have to like reset expectations. The concepts are, are rock solid and Geno Smith could play within the structure of the offense. I'm sure that's been a, a new revelation for Pete Carroll. And for the pass catchers, it's narrow. It's not one of these situations where we have to look around and say, okay, they're tossing it to four or five, six names. It's DK Metcalf, it's Tyra Lockett, and it's a multitude of tight ends, including Will Disley and Noah Fant and so on and so forth from there and a couple of running back targets. Like That's the type of situation that we absolutely love. JT O'Sullivan just did a breakdown of the quarterback school. If you all don't check that out, it's going to be great. In fact, Matty Brown is going to be doing a breakdown of Geno Smith on this channel later Ooh, in the week baby. as well. That's going to be fantastic. Um, what I keep coming back to, and look, Russell Wilson had a great start to last season two in the opening four games, but this is the same exact offensive coordinator that Russell Wilson had last season in Seattle. So despite the quarterback change, they, they stuck with the offensive coordinator. It just looks different. It feels different. It is different. Geno Smith. It is different. And he's just athletic enough. And these windows aren't huge, you know, like that first throw here, I'll bring it up to the tight end. This is back pocket, but leverage. And he puts it in the perfect spot. Like that is NFL open. It's not college open. And we are seeing Geno Smith elevate his game because he's so, so comfortable in this offense. And I think a big part of it too, are these two rookie tackles that are doing a really good job. Yeah, definitely doing a good job right now. The Seahawks are sixth in neutral pass rate. They, it's, it was never like that with Russell Wilson. They tried it for a little bit, but it, it's like those type of throws. Like right there, I mean, that is pressure in your face, throwing it backside, hitting DK Metcalf. This is like a little RPO action scramble for a touchdown. There's just a lot of fun wrinkles in this offense, and some of it's getting set up because the the ground game has looked very explosive. So DK Metcalf, I think that... He's a upside wide receiver two. I think Tyler Lockett is an upside wide receiver three. And I hope that they keep playing with the pace and the pass rate because right now it's like a legit fun team to kind of watch. Uh, and nobody had the expectations that they would be fun at all this year. Huge values for DK and Tyler Lockett in your drafts. Uh, DK right now, six targets inside of the red zone this season. Tyler Lockett's all the way down. Gosh, that's not his game. He's all the way down at one target inside the red zone. So that's the big difference in terms of potential touchdowns in that area. 
I can't show it, but I had the greatest highlight clip of all time on with Geno Smith on Twitter. Go find it. Well, that was it. There was just some, you know, extra Elements. fun little doodads mm-hmm. thrown in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Editing hand is it is uh is in his back. Okay. San Francisco 49ers. Quick note on Gino. I think you mentioned this. 77.3 completion rate is the best in NFL history for any quarterback through the first four games of an NFL season. Wow. Doug Farrar pointed that out. San Francisco 49ers. So we've seen Jeff Wilson. We saw Debo Samuel do his typical breaking models on Monday Night Football. What stands out to me, and Davis Maddock pointed this out, non-Jeff Wilson running backs. So you can throw Jordan Mason in there. You can throw in Tevin Coleman's one or two snaps this past week. Have exactly one carry since Ty Davis-Price injured his ankle. Okay? TDP has not been put on injury reserve. He's just inactive for these contests. That is a huge gold star, I think, in the corner of the rookie Ty Davis-Price once he returns and how he's still going to be a part of this offense. Yeah, Jeff Wilson's still running pretty explosively. There's always like one uh, wide open hole that he's able to burst off for a touchdown. He's been like RB2, three usage. That's kind of where he's settled in in my rankings uh, every single week. I think right right now, the interesting part is trying to figure out what to do with these pass catchers. Obviously, Debo Samuel is the premier option just because of what he was able to do last night's play was absolutely ridiculous. But right now, just it's hard to make Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle work just because there's not that many pass attempts right now. The 49ers are 30th in neutral pass rate, and that's not a surprise at all. They're always slow paced. So I think there's going to be basically no floor for Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle um, just because there's not enough volume to go around right now. Part of this because the defense is so damn good. So good. Hufunga. Well, it's not just him. It's, it's a not, lot of him. It's not just the guy from the Trojans. Uh, it is interesting to me that Jimmy is still trying to throw outside the numbers a little bit more. They're just not that many of these passing attempts, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but since the defense is so good, they are not playing ball secure situations but they're just not having to chase it as much as other teams. And also probably with Jimmy, like this is exactly the offense they want to run. Like, look, Brandon Ayuk still had three for 31 in the first half last week. And maybe if they get into these high projected total games, we might see more and more and more of those, but they most certainly won't get that if their defense continues to play at this level. So it's winning football. Oh yeah. Doing it right now. I, I think this team is legit. I think this team will heat up a little bit, assuming the offensive line can get, figured out with Trent Williams due back in about another month. Brett and I just put some context on here in the two games back, George Kittle is 5.6 and 7.4 expected half PPR points. That makes him the tight end 16 in usage per game. And then Brandon Ayuk is the wide receiver 54. It's, it's not his fault. I, I still think Brandon Ayuk's playing well, but it's just, there's the just, nature of the beast. Make the projection the 49ers. work. Yeah. The, the defense, like you said, is so damn good yeah. uh, at all three levels right now. And I, I don't know if this is exactly what it was going to happen with Trey Lance either. Like, I think week one was just not an outlier week, but a bit of a different game script because of the weather. Um, but we'll never know. Like, we truly never will know. And especially with how the offensive line is working right now. Like, hey, they don't want to drop back 40 times a game because no, the offensive line is, is pure ass. Yeah, You know, you can't, you can't do it. Yeah. Speaking of offensive lines, Pittsburgh Steelers. Your boy Kenny Pickett played. You got to review the Kenny Pickett tape. What'd you think? I'll leave the floor open to you. 
So I thought that the let's go with the interceptions first. There was three of them. One was probably a pass that he didn't have to throw. I didn't really love the design. It was kind of a, a deep post route into uh, two safeties. Chase Claypool did him no f- favors, dropped the ball for an interception. His second interception, he was trying to throw the ball away. Pat Frymuth was the intended receiver, hits off of his hands into uh, a defender that's kind of bad luck and then obviously the last one was just a hail mary uh didn't uh, have an incompletion other than those ones could throw on the move that was clearly something that the offensive coordinator liked i thought that he threw on time but the big thing and the reason why i'm a little bit optimistic here is he gives his guys chances like the ball is not landing in the fourth row like it was with trubisky there were some isolated matchups specifically for George Pickens here where he just says, Hey, go make a play. You're better than the guy defending you. And George Pickens time and time again came up with it. Uh, so I'm pretty optimistic. I'm not surprised that Tomlin went with uh, Kenny Pickett here to me. He already looks way better than uh, Trubisky. And like, those are the type of plays like that last one right there, standing in the pocket, willing to take a hit, throw the ball, scramble around a little bit, He's a gamer, a little bit more of a gamer than people give him credit for. And I'm pretty excited to see what this offense could come. The only thing I'm asking the Steelers now at this point is let's get George Pickens into two wide receiver sets. Enough of the Chase Claypool stuff. He's not consistent enough. And George Pickens is an alpha, was blocking his ass off, making plays in one-on-one coverage. They gave him X receiver routes, uh, isolated. He just, he's very good. Let's get him the ball a little bit more. If I could have one more nitpick, um, I don't know why he's going to leave the pocket here in a moment. Like his mobility is great. And it's something that we really liked about him. Like I understand the right defensive end could be cutting inside a little bit here, but look how much open space he has. And if you can check out the top of your screen, Chase Claypool is open in their intermediate air. There's another wide receiver coming right after him too. Like these are windows that he could hit, but I do understand that. Look, you step in at halftime You did not have the full week of practice for it. And one of your best traits, as you outlined, Hayden, is your mobility. Um, And you're going to use it no matter what. The Mm -hmm. play, and I'm going to try to rewind it here to find it, where he sidesteps Quinnen Williams, uh, takes the hit at the exact same time, and hits. Right here. I mean, this is great stuff. Now, when you watch this, are you wowed by his arm? Absolutely not. Are you wowed by his athleticism? No. Are you wowed, though, in comparison to how the offense looked more functional than Mitch Trubisky? 100%. That's the only thing that matters here for us for the rest of the season. We are not making you know pronouncements on the rest of the career of, of Kenny Pickett. I do think Steelers fans are a bit, and I get it, upset with Matt Canada and how it's not just easy, easy, easy over and over and over again. But this is, look. Plenty of wide receiver talent. Najee Harris is a solid running back as well. And yes, his wide receivers can go up and help him win in these situations. So this was awful, though. Like, we don't need that. And we yeah, don't I mean, make a play a little bit, you know, like one of the <laughs> one of the one of the problems with the bootlegs, like I like a bootleg. We don't need this either offense. backing up 15 yards and like trying to throw it to the yeah, I mean that's like hash. tough, like like also just catch the ball or let the ball go out of bounds there. Like I mean, those those. It's a bad decision. Little, we could say it's a bad decision. I mean, it's, it's I yes, it's fine. Like, I mean, he, why why, he, why are you off. drifting back? Why is he drifting back here? Why 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 are we going back fifteen yards? No, it's it wasn't his best play for sure. So, I I mean again, that's bad luck for that to be an interception right there. That ball was destined to be thrown out of bounds. Totally. But again, it's an improvement not just for the quarterback position for the Steelers mm-hmm. win loss record for George Pickens shares. 
maybe Deontay Johnson shares, especially Pat Fryermuth shares. Um, and that's all we can ask for. Like yep. that's that's really the name of the game here. Yeah, pretty insane stat. Deontay Johnson's the only wide receiver averaging 100 air yards per game without a red zone target. Nearly had a touchdown, barely on the outside uh, of the end zone. Um, but yeah, it's just been, they haven't been getting down to the red zone. That's what's hurt Najee Harris. Najee Harris uh, only had 10.6 expected half EPR points. He's actually the white or the RB 20 in fantasy usage. He's the RB 15 in red zone carries per game. They just need to get to the red zone more yeah. for all these players to have a chance. And we'll see if Kenny Pickett is a, a true upgrade. Issue is they open with him as a starter against the Buffalo Bills, uh, a Bills defense, which is probably the second best defense mm-hmm. in the league. So go out there and do your best, Kenny. If this is the first time that you've checked out the show, hit subscribe, hit that like button. We won't ask again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Philadelphia Eagles. Miles Sanders. What a weird offseason it was with Miles Sanders and the comments that he made on shows and then how beat writers were speculating how many backs are going to be used here with Kenneth Gainwell getting some goal line touches. Well, what we saw with Miles Sanders is that he owned this backfield. Then immediately after the game, after a career high 27 carries with Boston Scott out of this contest, Nick Sirianni interjected during a question about Miles Sanders and said, quote, Miles Sanders is our number one running back. There ain't no question about it. Well, wait till Trey Sermon gets cooking. Do you see that one carry <laughs> oh, that he had? Um, yeah, Miles Sanders, season high, 22.8 expected half PPR points last week. He's up to the RB9 per game, RB14 in usage on the season. This offense is multiple. If the pass game is going through a little bit of funks here, RPO, 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 read option, read option, read option, all the fun stuff, screen games, and then they can just run it down your throat a little bit. So yeah, Kenny Gainwell, they haven't really given him too many opportunities. He hasn't really done all that much. He scored a couple touchdowns here and there, but Miles Sanders is the home run threat. And right now they could use that home run threat because right now they're absolutely destroying an explosive play rate. The way that Jalen Hurts has been throwing the ball downfield, really opening things up Look underneath. This offensive line, man. It's so good, like, man. Let's let's bring this back. And let's also appreciate Devontae Smith running in, trying to occupy, I think that's Andre Sisco, the safety up front. And mm-hmm. then Jason Kelsey getting to the second level creating space and then walking in with his running back into the end zone. And this team even lost Jordan Mailata at left tackle early on. We outlined this, talked about it during the instant reaction show on Sunday night. Hopefully you all tuned in for that big picture. Great. The Eagles can do this. As you said, they are multiple. They can win in multiple ways because of how they change their offense midway through last season. And the running concepts that they have are, are very multiple too. Like they are running power. They're pulling all these athletic offensive linemen. However, Aiden, this is still not who they want to be, you know, like they are still going to be a pass first offense moving forward because that is what's working this year. They're not just going to revert back to this moving forward too, even though it was successful this week. Yeah, they can just win in both ways, depending on the matchup, how Jalen Hurts is playing uh, early on the game. So, yeah, I'm with you. I I do think that Miles Sanders is an RB2. Boston Scott is like was kind of like running out the clocks previously. So Boston Scott is out again. Uh, I think that's positive news for Miles Sanders, but he's just been clearly the best running back on the team. New York Jets. We have seen a flipping happen with this running back situation. Uh, Michael Carter opened the season as a starter. He even might be getting some of these starts in the box score afterwards. 
what we're seeing with Zach Wilson coming into this contest is not just Brees Hall getting more work as a true runner, Hayden, and especially between the tackles and on the edge, but also this team in general becoming slower pace, less pass, and maybe more and more balanced as well. Yeah, Brees Hall is just playing more everywhere. Uh, last week, he played in the two-minute drill. No more Ty Johnson nonsense. He's getting all of the goal line opportunities right now, and it is translating into the fantasy usage model. He's up to the RB7. He's actually a positive regression candidate. Uh, I think that he's been looking better and better. His usage is up. Michael Carter is not playing basically any of the third down. So Brees Hall, while not starting technically, is getting all the high-value touches. Michael Carter looks good to me, but yeah. he's getting all of the touches that really don't translate to fantasy points at all. So Michael Carter is like a, an insurance option oh, to me. This at play this was point. brutal. Probably a, a pretty bad um, start, but uh, Brees Hall is making some plays and just missed that one uh, broken play pass over the middle. Okay, I want to rewind here a little bit because actually – the Jets were dissecting the Steelers' defensive front with this. They would get both Michael Carter and Brees Hall on the field. And really, Michael Carter is becoming the lead blocker onto the edge. And they would have this wide receiver, as you can see in the left of your screen, crack down on 41 or linebackers or safeties, whoever were trying to fill, and get to the edge before Brees Hall. And that means Michael Carter was able then to get the cornerback and block him off one-on-one. -on -one. And then that would try to create, obviously, some space for Brees Hall where he's at his best. This is Zach Wilson in a nutshell, I think. This was, again, Brees Hall and Michael Carter on the field at the exact same time. Michael Carter gets the play action. Uh, Brees Hall is basically running a wheel along the sideline. And there are five yards for Zach Wilson to set his feet and hit this 90-yard touchdown. And instead, he wants to make it look cool and jump up in the air and throw it off his back foot. And then look where this ball lands. Uh, it forces Michael Carter to run back into the defender. Look, Zach Wilson had some really promising plays, especially in the second half. Again, this is more of the Spinner-Rooney stuff that he does. Um, if we just got a little bit more composure, I think mm -hmm. that would be even better for the likes of Brees Hall and the likes of Garrett Wilson. Yeah, so the, the, with the passing game, I think that my first note is how bad the Jets' offensive line is right now. There was so many plays where a lineman was either turned completely 180 degrees backwards or was straight up on the ground. Zach Wilson, I thought, was under pressured quite a bit here. Didn't translate to sacks, which I think was a positive for Zach Wilson. I thought he handled pressure a little bit better than what I was used to. There were some inconsistent throws. There were some really high-quality throws, a couple backside concepts going through the entire progression, which I thought was a positive for Zach Wilson. Also, I thought his wide receivers didn't really do him much help is uh particularly Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson reminds me of Jerry Judy in a lot of ways because he's so elusive with the ball. Clearly very talented, but there was a, like multiple times where he would run his route short of the sticks. Uh, there was a couple times like in the screen game where he wasn't lining up in the right spot kind of drifting back for too much and then Zach Wilson would dirt a couple of those passes. So, it was a an encouraging start for Zach Wilson where sure. it was. Um I the other note is the Jets even going back to last year in games that Zach Wilson starts, the neutral pass rate is way lower than it is with the backups. Joe Flacco, Mike White, pick your favorite Jets backup quarterback. That happened this year. The, the neutral pass rate dropped a little bit. And then last year, the neutral pass rate was definitely lower uh, in the Zach Wilson starts. So something to kind of keep in mind. Braxton Parrish is totally phased out of this offense too, which is really good news for, for Garrett Wilson. Um, 
And because of one quarterback play and two, what you just outlined with the changes to the offense, we can have what Elijah Moore happened to him where he has a great first half and goes somewhat invisible in the, uh, in the second half. But I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm trying to sound like not critical of Zach Wilson. Like again, the second half was really positive. Those final two touchdown drives were really good, even with some of the crazy movements and sacks and that he avoided so on and so forth. If we get four quarters of that, I'll feel great. You mm-hmm. know, um, yeah. it was just a half of it though. You know? Yeah. Uh, Elijah Moore, like the reason why we're not seeing as many targets is because uh, his a dot is up three yards. Um, it's all the way up to over 14, close to 15 yards downfield. He's losing a lot of the schemed up stuff, probably because the running backs are better, probably because Garrett Wilson is doing the same thing, but that's led him to be the wide receiver 41 in usage. He's a positive regression candidate, but we're chopping up this offense into three ways. Cause Corey Davis continues to play pretty well. Um, and Elijah Moore, just not getting as many schemed up looks as he was at one point last year. Go from one New York team to the other, and that means it is time for the New York Giants. Hayden Winks, what we, I'm not going to say prophesized to happen, but predicted could happen is that Saquon Barkley had a chance to be the overall running back one in this season. Well, through four weeks, he's running back two in fantasy points per game. And most importantly, it's not that the Giants are great, it's not like their offensive line has been fantastic. They literally have no wide receivers to try out there this past week, and they had no quarterbacks to try it out there. And Saquon Barkley is still getting home because he still has that same exact explosiveness that we saw from him early on in his career. Yeah, he's second in the NFL, only behind Joe Mixon in opportunities, getting a lot of dream opportunities, which are goal line touches and passing down targets. He's playing all the snaps that will continue this next week. Daniel Jones might not play. We'll see about Tyrod Taylor as well. It could be a really bad quarterback situation. Uh, the only thing worse than the quarterback situation is their wide receiver situation. Yeah. Uh, Kenny Galladay's hurt. Kadarius Tony hasn't practiced uh, in forever. Like right now, it's like David Sills. They got uh, Slayton back involved, and they don't even want to be playing Slayton. And they're like Richie James is still in his like uh, slot only role. They're not using their tight end. It's like there is no passing offense. It, it doesn't exist. Like whatever we thought Dayball could do, it doesn't exist. It's literally just Saquon Barkley. Please make a big play, and he has been making quite a big. Uh, lot of big plays i mean this was ridiculous this is vintage saquon you know a play that's going absolutely nowhere because the defense sniffs it out in fact he catches the ball seven yards behind the line of scrimmage on third down has to avoid a defensive lineman who has a direct hit on him avoids that now is 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage completely reverses field nice block dj and then gets a first down like this is the type of stuff that I was worried we would never see ever again while I was still drafting Saquon Barkley at the one-two turn even later than that early in the summer because all indications were that he was back. Last year's injuries where he had the softball on the sides of his foot were gone, and we get it. We get it. It's fantastic. I did want to point out that it sounded like Daniel Jones didn't come back or was taken out of this game because Brian Dayball wanted his quarterbacks to throw on the move and he literally could not move. And so even when he came back later on, just that lack of movement, that moving the pocket was the reason why they um, pulled him out of this contest. So that's something just to think about as we move along with these quarterbacks or maybe future quarterbacks that Brian Dayball invests in with mobility attached to them. So I think maybe Cooper cup, I'd rank over Saquon Barkley the rest of the season, actually probably, but I 
think that he's the RB1 in fantasy rest of the season. Yeah, right there with you. New Orleans Saints. Andy Dalton starter. No Michael Thomas across the pond. We still got Chris Olave, but not necessarily a role change, I thought, for Chris Olave because he still had that super long vertical playmaking A dot at 19.4. But still, no matter what, he's getting home because Chris Olave is emerging as an awesome talent and ready made for the NFL. Yeah, tied with Terry McLaurin with 16 deep targets this season. He's all the way up to the wide receiver 20 in the fantasy usage model. He had uh, 15.7 expected half PPR points over the last three weeks. Uh, We'll see if Michael Thomas is back. We'll see what they do at the quarterback position. This team is in flux. I don't think this team is very good. Um, So, yeah, it's it's just really depending on if the other skill, skill players are back out there. And they're not as good as they want it to be. You know, the reason why they trade up for a left tackle who can't play because he's in reserve. And the reason why they brought in Honey Badger and Jarvis Landry is because they thought that they like could continue the winning ways that they had even without right. Sean Payton. And they're just not that good of a team. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I saw like that drastic of an offensive success differential between Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston. So I do think it's up in the air uh, which one is the starter moving forward because I don't think there is a clear decision. Either way, yeah, go in either direction. I bet they so, let him rest and then make the decision after the, another like Andy Dalton starts something like that. Right. So if you are in a super flex league, like it's not the worst idea to get Andy mm-hmm. Dalton now, and this could be the starter for the rest of the season for them. I think that's totally feasible. New England Patriots, Hayden. Not too much here for me because again, Mac Jones didn't play. Then Brian Hoyer got out. Bailey Zappi has a pop gun arm, so we didn't really see that much down the field. Uh, what we did see was 33 carries out of this backfield. Ramondre Stevenson got 14 for 66. Damian Harris got 18 for 86 and a score. It's a two-person backfield still without Ty Montgomery, and Ramondre still getting more of the passing down work. Yes, he is. Uh, the last two games since the backfield went from three running backs to two, uh, Ramondre 15 and 11.5 expected half PPR points. He's getting closer to that every week RB three range. Um, and then Damian Harris is still getting more of the goal line opportunities and a slight bump in receptions uh, right now. 1.8 receptions per game is double what it was in 2020 and 2021. So not groundbreaking stuff, but at least keeps them alive. Uh, this Patriots offense, I'm definitely concerned about until Mac Jones gets back. Um, they played better like in the box score than anticipated, but I don't think it was like that pretty. They do face the Detroit Lions this week, I believe. So just like the theory of the play last week was Rashad Penny smash, we get maybe both Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson smash this week. Something to keep in mind and probably something we'll talk about on our Friday show when we outline the 20 players who uh, really are the focus of week five. Our guys for week five is the better way of outlining that show. My my last note is just Devontae Parker. Uh, right now, 75% of his passes have come 15-plus yards downfield. That's the league high, 12 of 16 targets, 15-plus yards downfield. Uh, no Jacoby Myers, but that doesn't mean Devontae Parker is going to go into that role. His role is what it is. Minnesota Vikings. Not too much to say here either. Justin Jefferson, big week. After a down week, uh, 
my only note, Hayden, is the key reason why Dalvin Cook is the running back 24 in fantasy points per game so far this season. It's not the injury. It's the lack of high-value touches he's getting. Uh, Paul Charchian pointed this out. The Vikings have run 37 plays from the red zone this year. Dalvin Cook has five touches on those. The Vikings have run nine plays from inside the opponent's five-yard line. Dalvin Cook has one touch. The vast majority of running back touchdowns are scored in the red zone, inside the five, and Dalvin Cook has barely any opportunity there. I know they're past first, but I think that that's going to regress positively in our direction. Yeah, two, three years ago, Dalvin Cook was like a borderline model breaker because he was ripping off so many big plays. Last year, it was definitely a step down, and then this year, it's even a step down uh, beneath that. So this is age stuff. It could be injury stuff. Who knows what it is, but that's a pretty insane note, and it's kind of led to RB24 fantasy usage. I think enough of the season's gone by. Now we have this shoulder injury where we're probably here to recalibrate expectations. It's hard to rank him anywhere lower than like RB 10 to 12 and stuff. But I think that's probably his range and not like top five fantasy uh, running back right now. Am I allowed to be let down a little bit by the ceiling that we have seen from Adam Thielen and KJ Osborne this year, especially the last one, like Osborne's irrelevant. Yeah. He's had one, one game of four. He's kind of just always been an insurance play. Uh, I was hoping the Vikings would be passing a little bit more than they are, but uh, if no KJ Osborne means that we get elite Justin Jefferson numbers, I think uh, I'll have to accept that. And like we talked about on this very show last week, it's much easier to get the ball and to score points when you're not getting bracketed coverage with a safety over the top and trail technique from one of the better corners in Jeff Okuda. He won isolated matchups without safety over the top uh, for big plays against Marshawn Lattimore. So Justin Jefferson could cook up anybody. It's very hard to win double coverage when teams are literally saying no. You cannot get the ball. That's not going to be the case very often. At the same time, he also has 12 slot targets this year for 11 receptions and 140 yards. So it's easy to win from there, too. Mm-hmm. So a mix of both would be cool for me. Uh, Irv Smith, just from my eyes, I don't know what your model says. Feels like he's gotten more involved the last two weeks just in terms of routes and participation. Um, but that could be my eyes lying to me. So Yeah, right now he's tied at 18 in routes, tied at 14 in Usage, I have to go like look at it week by week, but um, he's still like the third or fourth target. It's like hard to see like a total ceiling with him. Miami Dolphins, talk to me about the running back situation. We finally saw some short yardage red zone work from Chase Edmonds. He was the one that got those from that running back spot. However, every single other phase of this offense seems to be leaning in the direction of Raheem Mostert. So two weeks ago, Chase Edmonds gets both goal line opportunities this last week. Raheem Moser gets two of the three inside the five-yard line touches. So that was new. But more importantly, Raheem Moser, season-high 13.6 expected half PPR points on 72% snaps. Chase Edmonds only plays 28% of the snaps last week. Um, I don't know what to do with either one of them. They're RB40 and RB44 in usage. I think that Raheem Moser should be someone in the waiver wire mix if he is available. Um I don't think there's a ceiling in this offense, really, um, just because it's been more pass-heavy than we we expected. Uh, the offensive line has had some problems, especially at right tackle. It's, I've seen some Dolphins fans asking for USC great Austin Jackson back in the lineup, which is not a good sign um, at all. Um, so it's really just Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. I guess the debate is, is there how much of a difference should we expect from Teddy Bridgewater going to Tua? I think they're pretty similar quarterbacks in general. 
Um, maybe two is just better because he was a little more athletic this year than he was in previous seasons. But I think structure wise, I don't see too much changing uh, with Teddy Bridgewater at the helm. Yeah, I don't want to ruffle any feathers about these quarterback comments, but one, I trust Mike McDaniel to script a passing offense around whatever differences and strengths there are from Teddy to Tua, because we've already seen him do that versus what they used to do in San Francisco around Tua's strengths. Um, also, this offense is number two in passing offense DVOA through four weeks and number 20 in rushing offense. Chase Edmonds is last or second to last in, well, let's just do the first one. He is last in rushing yards over expected in the league per average per carry. Uh, that's awful. Yeah. Like, that's real bad. Um, the thing with Tua is he still isn't, take the Baltimore Ravens game out of your head. He still isn't driving the football down the field consistently. Like even this last, and JT pointed it out, this last hit, he had a wide open Jalen Waddle on mm-hmm. the rollout to his left and then reversing field on a deep post and just didn't pull the trigger. Um, and so Teddy actually had like a somewhat Geno Smith-like start to last season. I'm intrigued to see what he can do, but it's pretty clear that as soon as Tua is healthy and can't wait for when he is healthy for him to get back and, and be the starter once again, this team. But overall, like I am not too concerned with Jalen Waddle and Tyree kill moving forward in my lineups at all. Yeah. Going back to that, like not pulling the trigger downfield, it's kind of been like an NFL trend, like five, yeah. six, seven years ago, there were just more throws downfield. It's like not a drastic difference, but this goes into the, the two high shell coverages. And it's actually led, um, Steven Ruiz from the ringer pointed this out the lowest yards per, per attempt or yards per drop drop back. I forget which one it was um, since 2006 is this year. So just passing offenses have been as efficient and running backs instead of them getting a bunch of targets. What they're doing is like a lot of like the bell cows are getting first and second down work plus goal line, but getting subbed out on third down. That's what's happened to like Najee Harris, for example. So we're losing the ceilings of the fantasy running backs, even though the passing offenses haven't been that great too. It's pretty, pretty weird season for the NFL. I think that perfectly leads into our next team, the Los Angeles Rams because adjusted for game script, the Rams are calling pass plays at the league's fourth highest rate. And that's easily the highest rate of Sean McVay's career. However, Matthew Stafford, the offense is capped here, you know, Oh, yeah. It's capped down the field. When you look at where he's spraying the football, stuff isn't going 15, 20 yards down the field. This is for two reasons, in my opinion. One, they don't have a vertical player. You know, Van Jefferson caught 50 balls last year, and we kind of just scoffed at the injury and made it seem like it wasn't a big deal because they brought Allen Robinson in. They don't have a downfield player on the field. You can argue 2-2 out was supposed to be that, but on the field. He's played 13 snaps all season long. Yeah. The other part of this is five to seven step drops are much more difficult this season behind a far, far worse offensive line. So trusting your protection to hold up and then getting to the backside or getting to the vertical play, it's so much tougher for this Rams offense to do it this season. There's just not that much talent in this offense anymore. Like Matthew Stafford's still good, but he's always inconsistent. We know Cooper Cup is completely goaded, but right now Allen Robinson's one of the least efficient players in the NFL. Tyler Higby's getting volume. He's up to tight end four in fantasy usage, but every single season he's always popping in my touchdowns over expected models because he's never scoring the damn ball. Uh, Cam Akers looks bad. 
like, like just quite frankly bad like running <laughs> yeah. the ball and the pass protection stuff has been silly every single week uh but he's not making explosive plays they're not really getting daryl henderson involved so like right now it's like check down city to tyler higby and then hope cooper cup breaks the every single receiving record oh. uh, which he's on track to do uh but i'm with you the offense it all starts out the offensive line when jared goff was cruising the offensive line was elite now Andrew Wilworth retired. All the interior guys are all banged up. There's no continuity. And Matthew Stafford isn't playing well. Even Matthew Stafford has some on-off splits under pressure. And we're seeing the very worst of them. And man, Allen Robinson, it's there's there's some I can make a, a highlight play of him like breaking dudes off at the line of scrimmage, but beyond that, I I don't have anything for you. In terms of 10 plus yard attempts last season for Matthew Stafford, 35% of his passes. This season is 25% of his passes. Um, you mentioned with Cooper Cup, he's now on pace for 178 catches this season. The NFL record's 149. Jesus, man. Can we talk about Tyler Higby too? Like, yeah, we have to. This is why he's working. He's the third lowest A dot among all tight ends this season. I had this in this in my notes. JJ Zacharyson tweeted out immediately today. He is a 2022 version of, of mm-hmm. Dalton Schultz, you know. He has nine and a half targets per game. His drop in air yards per attempt compared to last year is at 2.1. You know, he is the safety blanket. He's let me get out of my hands because I'm nervous about the pressure on the front side because Cooper Cup's not getting open. Boom, there's Tyler Higby. And as a volume sponge, that's great. However, Hayden, I'm sure you're about to pull up. He's still highly inefficient inside of the red zone, and we're not getting vertical targets out of him either. Yeah, he's leading in touchdowns, under expected, however you want to phrase it. Um, Which he's been on that list, I feel like, forever. since he entered the league. Like, this is there just was the that, Tyler Higby list. That five-week stretch at the end of, like, whatever, 2020 season or whatever that was, where he was the best tight end to ever exist. Since then, it's been like, the volume's pretty good, but nothing else follows. I will say, they, they do throw him legit screens. Like, that's why yeah. his ADOT's low. That's probably not a good thing. Like, your offense is, like, all of a sudden, it's like Tyler Higby screens, so... I'm yeah, I think it's time to recalibrate Rams expectations, at least until they get better offensive line luck. But I'm not sure like where that's coming from out aside from just some of these injuries coming back. I don't know. Could could Van Jefferson kind of fix this too? If he comes back, they'll do less mm-hmm. with Ben Skoranek, I think, because he was, I think, brutalized yeah. on Monday night against yeah. the San Francisco 49ers. They ran over his face. Um, but look. A Dalton Schultz-like season, I think, is in the range of outcomes here for oh, Tyler yeah. Higby. When it's oh, just a yeah. volume sponge on, you know, low priority targets, targets and catches and yards are are still in the easy range of outcomes for him. Could I ask you a nasty question? <laughs> is it Cam Akers versus Daryl Henderson rest of no, season? No, 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 not not that nasty. George Kittle, Tyler Higby, rest of the season. Oh yeah, I mean it's Higby. Next team, it's Higby. Los Angeles Chargers, I don't have too much to say about this team. Uh, we're still waiting on Keen Allen coming back. Uh, I know their left tackle Sailor had like zero pressures allowed in his first start. Houston Texans, mind you. Um, three touchdowns we did get for Austin Eckler. All of them coming outside of the 10-yard line? Yeah. Impressive. He, he doesn't have a single inside the five-yard line opportunity this year. Wow. But it does help when you know you are austin eckler attached to justin herbert sometimes there's bigger plays and we know the checkdowns are going to be there uh kind of doing a little bit of a dalton schultz impression gerald everett uh tight end five on tight end eight fantasies he just had at least 8.2 expected half ppr points he's not doing it exactly like dalton schultz not checkdowns is more like he's getting opportunity in the red area similar to jared cook last year but 
Jared Cook was completely washed. Gerald Everett's got a little bit more juice this year. So um, I think this is as is Mike Williams is going to be the guy, Josh Palmer. It just comes down to the injury report last year or last week. He was just banged up, had a bad game. Um, so I guess that was a miss on my end, but injuries suck. I feel really good about Gerald Everett though. Oh yeah. He's a mainstay in this offense. Like he, he and Tyler Higby are the, and we'll get to one later on in David and Joku are like the late round tight ends of the season. Yeah. Um, and you called two of them. Good job. Uh, Austin Eckler, I guess like the upside case would be similar to like last year. You know, like they just gave up on trying to use the other running backs. We're getting to the point where like none of these guys are making any plays where I wonder if they're like, hey, Austin, guess what? We tried really hard, but these other guys are just so bad. We just have to get you the ball more. So that's like the only hope. Um, I think in in the meantime, he's like a a mid-range borderline top five fantasy running back just because the passing volume is going to be there and the defense uh, for the Chargers being worse is probably good news for everybody on the Chargers offense. I believe that's a fair comment. My only pushback, if I can play devil's advocate here, is I think a main reason why Austin Eckler played last year is he was so good in passing downs. And maybe a reason why they brought in Sony Michelle was for his pass pro willingness like he had with the Rams last season. And so maybe he would be the one to continue to, to chip in with that. They do have the Cleveland Browns this week, a Browns front line that was decimated. No, both health wise and by the Atlanta Falcons running backs who are far, far, far less talented than uh, than Austin Eckler. But they could be getting back Miles Garrett. We'll see. Las Vegas Raiders. Josh Jacobs is one of the best stories in the NFL because Josh Jacobs, despite just being the running back 10 and fantasy points per game this season, is running like one of the best running backs in the league this season. Yeah. Last week, 26.3 expected half PPR points. Um Career high in yards after contact per carry. Same thing with elusiveness. He's all the way up to the RB3 overall in fantasy usage. He is playing a few more passing down reps. Now he's not like a full-time player back there or anything, but basically no fantasy running back is. And I think this offense is pretty sweet. So I know the record doesn't indicate that. And Derek Carr has been pretty inconsistent. But like you said, the tape, the entire season has been there. The guy is hard to bring down this year. He's running well. The vision's good. Uh, He looks healthy. Um, maybe it's the contract year. Who knows what it was? Um, I think he's played really well. And I think that we need to be treating him with way more respect. He's one of those guys in the fantasy circles that's always been made fun of. And this is one of the, probably the best I've ever seen a look. I agree. Um, I almost want to sit here for the next, I don't know, two minutes and just watch these highlights because he's unreal. Like he's running twin tackles. He's creating those hidden yards on final contact over and over and over again. This is the play. I mean, just making people not miss on final contact. Oh, I mean, this play. That's Get out of here with this. Did you think Josh Jacobs could do this? Look, plants, right It foot. was the burst after Boom. the safety that had my attention. Here's your cutback. Let's stress the outside. Let's spin back in. Make multiple tackles miss. Have someone drag and grab our undershirt, and then we move. That right there, like that's the part I don't oh. remember about Josh Jacobs is like getting around that safety for the actual what ten yards right there. That's that's been the impressive part. Uh, Zamir White got like a a fun little play to like ice the game where they pitch it out to him. He had to make a defender miss. So yeah, this is it's it's a pretty interesting offense. Uh, in general, I know the team isn't all that great right now, but right. Darren Waller's just missed on some red zone stuff. Uh, right now, Devontae Adams is leading the NFL in. Uh, red zone targets. The reason why Devonte Adams hasn't gone completely nuclear yet is he's only caught three of nine 
deep targets, I think that will all even out. Devontae Adams had one of the best matchups of the seasons so far. Lots of isolated coverage against Pat Sertan, who is incredible in his own rights. But Devontae Adams more than held his own for like what 10 catches and over 100 yards last week. So, um, the red zone stuff will improve for Devontae Adams. Same thing with the deep stuff. Right now, he is the RB2 or wide receiver two overall in fantasy usage. I view him as a borderline top three asset, even though uh, it hasn't been like very consistent this year so far. To your point, 13 red zone targets. The next close is actually Zach Ertz at 10, six Whoa. receptions on that, and three touchdowns. Three touchdowns. Okay. Kansas City Chiefs. Actually, who the Raiders play next. Also running back conversation here. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the theory of the play was always this, Hayden. It's debatable. You can be on either side if you think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is talented or if you think he just sucks, right? But we appreciated the Kansas City Chiefs offense. We appreciated the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line. So why not, at the value of where Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was going in drafts, attach yourself to an offense that was going to score touchdowns with the hopes that CEH was going to be the goal line back after we knew that uh, Ronald Jones was non-existent and a non-factor on this team. So again, you can debate with yourself if you think CEH is good or bad. The theory of that play is holding mm -hmm. true because Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is scoring touchdowns and getting those opportunities. 100%. I will argue like right now for the rest of the season, I think he has like the widest range of outcomes. Like right now, he's the RB4 in actual production, but he's the RB30. RB4 on RB30 fantasy usage. He's not getting like all of the goal line work. In fact, there's a lot of times where they're using Jarek McKinnon in there for some of these galaxy brain looks that Andy Reid loves drawing up where there's tight ends and they're tossing the ball and they're running backwards and Mahomes is pointing elsewhere and all that stuff. Jarek McKinnon is getting a lot of that. This last week, uh, Isaiah Pacheco got some run early on. I thought Isaiah Pacheco's vision was a little bit better. Um, but with all that said, Clyde Edwards, he had a brutal drop, um, but I thought he's running with a little more burst this year than he has. Maybe it's the gallbladder thing or, or maybe it's just feeling more comfortable, but the offensive line is really good. And all the running backs, I think look halfway decent. So it just really depends like how much of this usage CH is going to uh, hold on to because they get all three of them involved. I think it's been good improvement from Isaiah Pacheco since we saw him in the preseason. I think yes. he's still wants to hit that hole as quickly as possible. I think his vision has improved. Um, and just their blocking overall, like they'll run zone, then they'll run a bunch of power stuff, you oh, know, yeah. like they have athletic offensive linemen and these guys that turn into lead blockers. And then it's just positioning and they'll sue you off. And then you'll get to that second and third level. And it's been pretty cool this past weekend. Like you said, to see CEH be that final result of just the magic that Patrick Mahomes throws at you at the goal line and holding it on to, to that last instant. I hear you on, you know, the running back four on was it running back 30 usage, running back 40 usage, yeah, whatever it is. 30. But again, the theory of the play is that's like universal efficiency, right? For the latter mm -hmm. point, this is what we want to get the opportunities and efficiency on a top three, top four offense, right? Okay. That is not as vertical as they used to be. So the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. I know that's what you're yeah. saying too. Yeah. I view him as an RB2 the rest of the year, but. There's a, there's a little more downside risk. There's, a, I think, a little bit more upside risk there. He's just a huge range of outcomes. So my model tells him to tells us to sell a high. I can kind of make an argument. I don't know who you're trading for. The whole running back position is in flux. Um, 
yeah, I think I would like have like Josh Jacobs over CH, for example, the rest of the rest of the way. But like the Damian Harris of all that stuff's behind CH for sure. As disappointing as it has been, I don't even know if I have a comment on like Juju Smith-Schuster and MVS and the wide receivers on this team because it's just the utilization of that entire pass catching group. Again, Travis Kelsey is the quote unquote X. Then after that, they'll go two wide receiver sets, but they'll also go, you know, 13 personnel with three tight ends. They were doing this. Nate Tice pointed it out where if Vita Vale was on the field, they would split all three of those tight ends out and turn it into a passing play. If he was off the field, they would turn those three tight ends into semi blockers with Travis Kelsey out there, obviously, and, and run the football. So that is the kind of, again, advancement that we're getting from this offense where maybe they're more multiple with the tight end position in somewhat similar ways to the Baltimore Ravens, um, okay. how they'll go to empty or to compact, so on and so forth. But I think all of the changes and the creativity from the Chiefs is, is taking back from the wide receiver production overall if it was just more vanilla. But at the same time, the wide receiver talents could probably be better too. Yeah, so it's kind of both ways. They're not being utilized like completely how we would hope. Like, for example, Juju Smith-Schuster is running around on 77% of dropback instead of like 90. Uh, but right now, both MVS and Juju Smith-Schuster are top 10 in touchdowns under expected. So you would hope that that would even out, you know, when your quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. MVS made a couple of good plays. Same thing with Juju Smith also had a couple bad reps mixed in there is kind of what you're getting with these two as talents. I'm, I'm mostly disappointed, but they're out there. They're like flex usage players in an offense that if like we refresh and Juju Smith Schuster has 80 catches, two touchdowns next week, would you be surprised? No. If MVS has an 80 yard touchdown next week, would you be surprised? No. So it's like they're flex options with boom bust potential. And I still see people waiting on sky more. So We'll see if that ever comes to fruition. They got him involved a little bit more, and like some, a little bit more, more than Justin Watson. That that's the bar that he's crossed. Is more than Justin Watson so, this past the first week. step. But I could also see that flip next week too. You know, who knows? Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't have anything on this team because the offense just was very un Jaguars like for much of it. One, the weather. Two, the four Trevor Lawrence fumbles to go along with his interception. Um, I still think Travis Etienne looks like super thin. I'm not going to call him frail, but thin out there as a runner. Um, Just better days ahead for the Jacksonville Jaguars than what we saw this past weekend. Again, because the weather and a really tough matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles secondary, which James Bradbury baited Trevor Lawrence into that interception along the sideline. I think it just like goes to show you that there's some downside risk with James Robinson, what this chart is showing you early on in the game. Obviously, James Robinson's the one. He gets a goal and opportunity in the first quarter when the game is close. All of a sudden, when the Eagles take a step ahead, James Robinson gets phased out. He does play the two-minute drill, but Travis Etienne gets basically all the touches from the second quarter on. I think that James Robinson will be game script dependent and definitely be better in positive game scripts because he's like more of the traditional running back stuff. And then that's why I think that Travis Etienne may be a little bit of a buy low opportunity, not because he's doing anything special, but just because James Robinson coming off the Achilles, who knows how long this is going to last, who knows how long the the Jaguars are going to be like trailing as much as they had early on in the season. So I think probably sell high on James Robinson, but it goes to show you, I think this will be a little bit game script dependent for these two running backs. Is our guy Jamal Agnew a flash in the pan in week four, or is there a consistent role for him? Not in, in our hearts. Four? 
No. Uh, yeah. I mean, Zay Jones being out certainly helped. He had 10 uh, expected half PPR points, 57% of the routes. He's a schemed up guy. Um, Swagman is very good, but probably Zay Jones coming back is going to hurt him. Marvin Jones just doesn't exist. Like right. basically he's irrelevant, even with Zay Jones out. Like we didn't even bring him up because he just hasn't been very good. I think Doug maybe realized that no one could keep up with the speed of Jamal Agnew. And that was probably his best mm-hmm. bet at wide receiver in this game with the weather that it was. And like you said, it was a schemed up along the red zone for him to get his touchdown. And then you had the double curl with the post over top that hit him for that big play too. Uh, yeah. I mean, Zay Jones, despite missing that game, still has six red zone targets this year. Obviously Christian Kirk has eight, but those are the two top target getters on the uh, on the Jaguars. I forgot to mention this with the Rams. I want to bring it up since people are so nervous about Allen Robinson, as they should be. Um, at least for me, a big part in the theory of, of that pick was his potential success inside the 10 and inside the 20 for that team. Cooper Cup has eight red zone targets for the Rams and Allen Robinson has seven. They're just, he's just completely not involved unless they're inside of the red zone. And even when in the red zone, so many of those are uncatchable or he's not getting open and they're just fades that they're basically pointless. Um, yeah. And we don't think they're even to the red zone as often as they did last year. Right. Who could have seen that coming? Indianapolis Colts, Hayden. Jonathan Taylor got stuffed this past week and they play on Thursday yes. night. He went 20 of 42 and 11 of those 42 yards were on the first carry of the game. Again, they play on Thursday night. He has not ruled himself out. He wants to play. Anything you want to talk about here with the Colts? Didn't practice. I don't expect him to play short rest. Why rush him back? He's dealing with a mild turf toe on top of an ankle sprain. So they're calling it mild and mild, but when it's two body parts down there, I don't really love it. And like you said, it, it really hasn't just been this last game. He's been inefficient. I don't think for any reason for Jonathan Taylor, but he's the RB2 in usage, but the RB20 in production. I mean, this is just why fantasy football is just so insane. Like, who? how could you project that Jonathan Taylor is going to turn into a below-average efficiency player? That's just, like, part of the the environment that we, we play in. So, uh, as for Naeem Hines, I think that he's one of the better um, waiver-wire options. I think I'll be ranking him as a top 20 back if he is healthy. I expect the Colts to pass more if Jonathan Taylor is out and just because there's so much usage, they're talking up like Philip Lindsay to get potentially more involved, but he hasn't been playing oh, yeah. at all for a reason. So <laughs> we've seen in, in stints like Naeem Hines getting like a lot of like the goal line and short yardage stuff too. He is historically a passing down back, but in short stints, this coaching staff has handed him the keys. And I just, you're not like healthy scratching a player and then all of a sudden like bringing him in for a lot of touches here. So I think Naeem Hines is going to be like one of the better options this week. Someone named Dion Jackson is the other running Mm -hmm. back on this roster too. This is also a team that's getting a ton of tight ends involved. Like Mo Ali Cox sprouted up for a huge game after not going to say being irrelevant in the first three weeks, but he just ran so many more routes and was targeted at a much higher rate. They were also going 13 personnel. Like they had Jelani Woods out there. They had Kylan Granson as like an intermediate receiver. And I know that we shout out Michael Pittman as one of the players who encapsulated what week four was going to be. He just missed a touchdown like by a toenail, by a toe drag in the back, um, would have changed his week, obviously. Yeah, when we were talking about best ball, we were always talking about like correlation in like ceiling environments. If something happens, contingent-based upside 
this is the week where if JT is out, the entire offense changes. So Michael yep. Pittman would be better. Naeem Hines would be better. Mo Ali Cox did run more routes this week than he was previously. So for the single game Slaters out there, he does um, exist in some capacity. Paris Campbell, I mean, he's been healthy and he's the wide receiver 98 in usage. Like, I even saw Quentin Nelson getting getting beat one on one. Like this yeah. whole Colts team isn't really making sense no. for 2020 based on expectations and how you know a changing quarterback going from what we talked about with Carson Wentz to the style that Matt Ryan is was supposed to steady the ship, and none of it's working out. Yeah, Houston Texans, Damian Pierce, huge run. Also wanted to bring up Damian Pierce, pass catcher. Hayden, we kind of overlooked this on mm-hmm. Sunday night, but not only did he get a hundred percent of the rushing work Damian Pierce was also being fed instant checkdowns and even had some screens drawn up for him as well that's hugely important I think yeah he's not playing the passing downs but he is like Joe Mixon where he's getting more passing opportunities and we'll take it um since week one where he basically was benched for who knows that what reason um he's been explosive on 11.4 or 14.4 expected half PPR points he's all the way up uh, getting closer to like every week RB2 level. So big playability. We saw it last week. Um, you don't get to play the Chargers every single week. Um, but Damian Pierce, they're getting him more involved in the pass game. Um, and that's pretty optimistic. Okay. Packers. I think that's all we need to say about that team. Um, even though I saw Nico Collins bounce up for a couple big plays, it's just the Davis Mills experience isn't going that great. Yeah, sixty-two percent of Nico Collins' targets, fifteen yards downfield. Better oh my gosh! Yeah, I think only Devontae Parker's higher. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Green Bay Packers. I feel like there's a lot to talk about here because really, for the first time this season, we get a healthy Alan Lazard, a healthy Romeo Dobbs, and a healthy Christian Watson. Um, Romeo Dobbs' route participation changed from week one and week two, which was about I don't know fifty-three percent up to 95% in each of the last two weeks. Um, what we've also seen is that Aaron Rodgers started to test vertically more often this past weekend, right? His air yards per attempt was at 8.8 in comparison to the average of 6.1 this season. What did you see from this wide, wide receiver trio? Because it's mainly with the sprinkle of Randall Cobb, what we're going to see for the rest of the season with the Packers. I haven't watched this game on all 22 yet, but I have seen some clips where in the snap count, it seems like Christian Watson's kind of the decoy going to get some drawn up stuff. But Romeo dubs is a full-time player right now. And the usage has kind of followed 10.1 expected half PPR points last week. Alan Lazard is the touchdown guy right now. He's playing over, over expectation there, but that's as expected. He's like the trusted player. Um, I did make AJ Dillon, the cover image just because his usage right now he's been pretty unlucky but he's had at least 10 expected half ppr points in every single game he's been pretty inefficient i don't think that will hold up he's clearly better than this i think that he's an above average player rb 17 usage but he hasn't been he's been barely a flex play this year uh kind of the inverse with aaron jones big play hunter um, they just haven't had as many goal line opportunities recently just because the Packers offense, I guess is like average to good. I would not call them like great or anything like that. We did. And we do now have truth that 
if Christian Watson is in this lineup, he is the window dressing. He is a jet motion guy versus what we saw Aaron Jones do it in week one. And even more of that, I think in week three, when Christian Watson was missing these games, um, because Christian Watson was that on a lot of big Aaron Jones runs. And then Christian Watson got one of those action carries jet sweep carries and took it for a touchdown. And so now every single team is going to have to stay honest with that on the backside, which obviously helps Aaron Jones have the success. And that's not new Uh, at North Dakota state. Christian Watson would do that. They would get jet sweep screens, all that fun stuff too. Final comment. Al Lazar deserves people's respect. Um, He is such an important part of this offense. He went eight, six, 116, had a touchdown in really his first full-time duty this season in back-to-back games to start. Like he's getting more vertical now too. It's arguable how good he is, but if the Packers are going to be successful offensively, he is their number one receiver. Like mm-hmm. it's somewhat of a mirror of him and Romeo Dobbs on either side. Cause you know, Dobbs also had a touchdown. He dropped another one. They were trying to get him vertical too, but that's so key. It is so key for this team without Devonte Adams. Like they don't have that true go-to player on third downs inside of the red zone. That I think as he gets healthier throughout the year, Al Lazard is going to take more and more and more of that. And again, we're not going to see the, significant drop off from the wide receiver one to the wide receiver two, like we have seen in the past with the Packers because Romeo Dobbs is going to shorten that. I think with Al Lazard, but this is the trusted player. Like let's get over our individual evaluations from him. I think. Yeah. I, I want to watch this game. See, see what he was doing well, but I do think eventually we need to retire this thing where we start every Alan Lazard conversation with he's not good, but like, it's just like, well, maybe Aaron Rodgers thinks he's good and maybe he isn't just like, complete trash like everyone says yeah i mean he's better than randall cobb he's better than sammy watkins he's better than christian watson and so he and romeo dobbs are going to be the starting outside wide receivers yep simple and moving to the slot and moving the slot detroit lions huge spot with a number of points for this team in fact they are averaging about 33 points offensively each game and giving up about 33 points defensively each game the main person I wanted to talk about here with all the injuries that we saw with Amon Ross St. Brown and DJ Chark and obviously DeAndre Swift is TJ Hawkinson. I'm not going to call him like a meme of this show, but the tight end seven in drafts this summer hasn't really hit this season until all these injuries started to. So like now is the point in this conversation where, hey, some people might have been looking at a second tight end on their bench and wondering if TJ Hawkinson has turned the corner. Hayden, do you feel that TJ Hawkinson has turned the corner? I thought this last week was by far his best game. That's not just because of the box score. There was a couple plays. One, a uh, little shallow route where he runs by a defender for a huge game. He makes a diving catch. He was working all over the place. Um, I thought he looked more athletic than I was expecting. Uh, this was the one where he outruns a defender here on the outside. So career best game for him on box score, on tape, everything involved. Obviously, it comes with Amon Ross St. Brown inactive, uh, DJ Chark inactive, DeAndre Swift inactive. Uh, so I, I definitely do think that matters. But I think just in general, this offense is so unique because they're putting up, I mean, insane volume. And I don't even say, like, I don't think Jared Goff's played well. No, nope. what the difference is they can create explosives in the run game. They can pull the uh, offensive linemen, create big uh, holes for both Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift and Jared Goff. He has a career high 
in ADOT this year. He's throwing the ball downfield, a lot of this play action stuff down the field, and it's just been working. So, like, it's pretty crazy that they're, like, what, leading? I think they're leading the NFL in scoring. Yep. But Jared Goff, I he's been better than he was, but he hasn't been good. No. There are misplays for TJ Hawkinson. We've outlined misplays for DJ Chark in previous weeks. Like, there are still misplays everywhere. And like you said, they're still the number one scoring offense I think they know they have to do that because they know their defense isn't good. They're we really bad. talked about it on instant reactions where they've invested so much on the offensive end of this and they're a young team and they're still trying to develop. And Brad Holmes, I think, is doing a damn fine job based on how good the offense is. They just need like another offseason or two to add some veteran pieces, some finishing pieces along that defensive uh, unit. And they're just not there yet. And that's that's putting it lightly. They suck defensively. They're really bad. Except Other than Jeff Okuda. Yeah. 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 Um, wait till this off. If Jamison Williams is as good as we thought pre-draft stuff, I mean, look the hell out. Like this team is, they got something. They've got something. Um, okay. Denver Broncos over you, Hayden. Uh, Javante Williams out for the season. Not only does he leave behind 45% of the Broncos carries, he also had a 17% target share. For this team. So let's just outline the situation really quick. Melvin Gordon, trusted despite fumbles. Mike Boone stepped up after Melvin Gordon lost that fumble. And they also signed Latavius Murray to join, even though the Saints offered him a full time contract. Um, we also have had the team's offensive coordinator come out and say that Melvin Gordon is going to be the lead ball carrier on this team. Thank you, Justin Uten, because we appreciate you from the fantasy football community. I mean, I I was waiting for a quote like this um, because it's what I believe to be the case. I'm going to pull this up just last. I got it right here. Okay, yeah. Um, he just basically calls that they trust Melvin Gordon, that he's going to get your quote, carry the load, obviously. So um, last week, it was not the case. Obviously, Melvin Gordon has that fumble. They get Boone some run here. But man, I, I hope you have the clip for the Mike Boone stuff. He was he was horrendous. Mike Boone was horrendous. Um, he had a missed play in pass protection. He dropped some passes. I thought he just didn't have a good feel for where to settle down and all that stuff. Um, so yes, while Melvin Gordon has been struggling in his own right, he cannot hold on to the ball. And that's been a trend for a long time. To me, Mike Boone is like, that was not the way to cut that one at, right there. He has like, what, 78 career carries or something like that. I just don't see the Mike Boone stuff really translating. So uh, if Melvin Gordon's available for some reason in your league, to me, he's the number one pickup. I think they're really going to try to make an effort with him. If Melvin Gordon can't hold on to the ball, I think eventually Latavius Murray would become more involved. He kind of is like a Melvin Gordon type of player. Um, I don't know, man. Mike Boone, like he's been in the league forever. He never gets any opportunities. And then he gets this one. And I thought, look, just really bad. Okay. You can be the Mike Boone hater. Um, I think Mike Boone has flashed in preseasons and previous years. He's hyper athletic. He finishes on final contact. I am totally with you that he looked bad coming into this game. A number of those situations on passing downs. And in fact, Rich Rebar has pointed this out. Russell Wilson has the number one EPA per play when targeting wide receivers this year. And he's 31st in the league when targeting running backs, despite how many carries or how many targets running backs have on this team so far this season. Uh, 
Look, there is some carryover here, though. George Payton, who's a general manager of this team, was probably a major part of him coming to the Minnesota Vikings during their days and then coming over here with the Denver Broncos. Did it look good? No. Um, Melvin Gordon, it's like one fumble away, though, man. Yeah, for sure. It's one fumble away. Now, the question is, if that fumble does happen, is it Latavius Murray who steps up here, who, again, was probably promised some something here because mm-hmm. he just got run off the practice squad in yeah. absence of, of Alvin Kamara. But most importantly, that's the negative view of this. Melvin Gordon is massive for the rest of this fantasy football season. Like, yeah. top 15 massive the rest of this fantasy football season at the mm-hmm. running back position. Yeah, going into this year, I thought that Melvin Gordon could be this ver- this year's James Conner kind of took an injury for James Conner to to go crazy. Um, just got to hold on to that damn ball. It's like the CH. It can, he can be a league winner. He can get benched next week. It, I'm completely understanding of that, but I think I would want to be aggressive because fantasy football is all about ceiling. And right now, the Broncos are top five in running back usage. Um, what you got? You see this note from Reeves? There have yeah. been six fumble sixes the past two years on rushing attempts. Melvin Gordon was the ball carrier for three of those. They've all all been, of those returns have been 60 plus yards. Dude, it's always like just nonsense with the Melvin Gordon stuff. So, yeah, I mean, the offensive coordinator came out and said it. They re-signed Melvin Gordon. But like you said, Latavius Murray chose this location. Um so yeah, I, I think I would rather spend one dollar on Latavius Murray than like twenty five dollars on Mike Boone for budget wise. And I, I think swing for the fences with Melvin Gordon. If if he if he doesn't fumble, this could be really significant. And you don't shoot for sixth place in your fantasy league. You shoot for first place. And we saw with Javante Williams. We all said that Javante Williams has top five ceiling. I don't see why Melvin Gordon can't have that if he just holds on to the ball. Perfectly put. Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys, Hayden Winks. Michael Gallup had the second most route run on his team after coming back into the lineup. C.D. Lamb, 29. Gallup, 24. Noah Brown, 22. That's perfect. You and I were on the Sleeper Bowl team together, drafted Michael Gallup uh, as a potential flex, as a long-term play. In all of the cheat code videos we did, we advocated for people to draft Michael Gallup so they could put him on the IR spot and stash him for here. I thought he looked solid. Um, I can't wait for Dak to get back, but even in the like intermediate area until that happens, the meantime, like Michael Gallup is seemingly trusted from start to finish in these games. They're not really slowly putting him back into the lineup at all. Yeah. It makes me a little bit nervous, but that Cowboys doctor with the Cowboys, the legit Cowboy hat probably knows better than I, and they're out there. So Michael Gallup has, I think probably a better chance to be more involved in November and December. Um, I probably keep him on, benches uh for when Dak Prescott comes back but it's promising that he's out there already Noah Brown will be involved maybe more of a deep threat I think they'll put CeeDee Lamb back in the slot a, a whole bunch here Michael Gallup as X Noah Brown at Z CeeDee Lamb in the slot and then we'll see what happens when Dak Prescott gets back but Cooper Rush is he's handled himself like as well as you possibly could have uh in the situation and a huge part of this team's success is Tyler Smith the rookie who's going to play guard kicking out the left tackle and more than owning that spot. He's been dominant mm-hmm. at that spot. There were so many on off splits with how this offense would crumble year after year when Tyron Smith would play half the games and miss the rest of the season. And not now. I mean, Tyler Smith's playing at this level at the left left tackle spot that 
it allows them to stay afloat and allows Cooper Rush to, you know, hit these quick hitting passes over and over and over again and really test vertically too. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm excited. I I know it's not been – look, I had the under on the Cowboys win-loss total this year. I probably am going to eat it because they actually look better to me at handling some of the injuries than I thought they would be able to, and Mm -hmm. defensively they get after it. Yeah, the, all my regression models are getting absolutely dunked on by the Cowboys. Trevon Diggs looks better, like more consistent. Had a couple in, incredible plays last week. Micah Parsons, you make an argument that he's the best defensive player in the league, maybe second best. Um, Dalton, do you think any of this affects Dalton Schultz in any capacity? Last last week, I, I ranked him as like the tight end 15 because he's probably rushing back from this injury. But if the defense is a little bit better and Michael Gallup's back and Noah Brown looks a little bit better and both the running backs are involved, like how confident do you think we are that Dalton Schultz is going to have like tight end six version checkdowns? Like, I, I wonder if he's going to be like closer to like that, the TJ Hawkinson, like tight end nine, tight end 10. Yeah. I think that's very fair. Um, man, I have such a difficult time with Dalton Schultz because he's one of those players, even though we've talked about this with some of the other ones on the show, and I told you to avoid this line of thinking, where like, I don't think he's as talented among all the tight ends he was drafted around. However, that like volume sponge role on those tight end delays or those quick patterns out were like so beneficial for him last year. And mm-hmm. we just heard all offseason now he and Dak were on the same page over and over. If this PCL injury lingers, though, and they do want to be a yeah. bit more vertical and Kellen Morris changes offense a little bit and takes some of these like similar concepts that he's running with Cooper Rush and to get the ball out quickly for Dak Prescott to not have to get to that check down, that is Dalton Schultz. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm more nervous of Dalton Schultz now than I obviously was in August, if that's yeah. an answer to your question. Like, to me, like... Him versus David and Joku would be interesting to me. Let's go to David and Joku Ooh. and the Cleveland Browns. Didn't even know they're up next. What a two-game span. Ten targets, nine receptions, 89 yards, and a touchdown against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Against the Atlanta Falcons, seven targets, five receptions, 73 yards. This was the theory of the pick, Aiden. Some screens, some verticality. Athleticism oozes out of David and Joku's pores. And while it might have been a slow start through the first two weeks... It's really hit his stride, and that's exactly what we want to see from David and Joku. Up to tight end nine, but over the last three weeks, he has 11.2 expected half PPR points, which is like mid-range tight end one pr- production. I think that he has the talent to keep up that pace, and then obviously, eventually, the redacted quarterback comes in. But Jacoby Brissett, in the meantime, more than holding his own. Amari Cooper kind of fell into the A.J. Terrell trap. Uh, the Falcons historically been really bad against the tight end position, but for the most part, David Njoku has looked good. They're scheming him up stuff. And I still think if you're like ranking tight ends and like most likely to have a 40 yard touchdown, David Njoku would be very high up on that list because of his, because of his explosiveness. So right now, Nick Chubb to the moon, Kareem Hunt uh, hasn't been as efficient as normal, but still RB 18 fantasy usage Amari Cooper, uh, probably going to be a little bit inconsistent, but I think he's settling into wide receiver three status, and then the rest of the players are basically irrelevant. Chicago Bears, I have nothing here. I know they threw the ball more. I know they tried to throw it downfield more. Darno Mooney, Cole Komet. The only thing that still matters is the running back spot for this team until we see something different from Justin Fields, either from a play-calling standpoint or an execution standpoint, because it's still not good, even if it's just more of the not good. Yeah, he's under pressure around 49% of his dropbacks, which is only trailing Daniel Jones. Uh, Khalil Herbert, I guess we can just have this conversation and fast forward. 
he had 6.4 expected half PPR points with David Montgomery in the two games without him. That goes up to 16. That's RB1 usage. I think he looks good. Um, we'll see how much longer David David Montgomery is out for. I think it's pretty silly that the coach called this a day-to-day injury. It is an ankle sprain. Um, those are typically week-to-week, so I wouldn't like just pretend that David Montgomery is back this week. I think it's probably close to 50-50. Carolina Panthers, as you put it, a true squeaky wheel game for DJ Moore when they tried to manufacture touches for him and get him going early in this game equaled six catches for 50 yards, six catches for 50 yards. I don't see much of anything happening with this passing game as we move forward for DJ Moore in particular, because I can't hang my hat on what this team wants to be. Um, Even this past week, Hayden, they transitioned from running the ball a lot to then throwing the football a lot and throwing the football more to Christian McCaffrey towards the end of this contest. Mm-hmm. I like that part. <laughs> I didn't like any <laughs> of the other parts uh, in, in the fantasy usage model. I added some more data points for you sickos. Um, if you're still watching this show 90 minutes in, I think that you should go to underdog net, underdog network and mess around with some of the data right now. Look at this list. This is completion percentage over expected for wide receivers and tight ends. Look at these names. DJ Moore has negative 21 completion percentage over expected. He's like right next to Scotty Miller, this that Houston guy from Dallas, uh, Shai Smith, Brevin Jordan, Isaiah Thomas. Like these players aren't very good. Uh, they just can't give him the ball. They're trying. At least they tried last week. I will say they, they tried last week. Maybe I'm optimistic there, but um Baker Mayfield, this next stretch. Did they play with the, the 49ers this week? This is this is what I was about to bring up. So mm. Baker Mayfield is by far and away the worst quarterback in the league. By far and away. The next stretch for the Panthers is the 49ers, the Rams, and the Bucks. So this was the easy stretch for Baker Mayfield. Supposed to be where Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore get us our points. And we're getting nothing from this. It's not going to get better. Get what you can for DJ Moore. Um, by the inverse, that makes Geno Smith the best quarterback in the league. If you're looking at that chart, <laughs> I'll listen to that. He's been I'll so good to that Buffalo bills. Hayden, we have a lot to talk about actually with the Buffalo bills. Let's start off with Gabriel Davis. Okay. There's a lot to hit on with Gabriel Davis. Number one, we're going to show you the highlights. He is not 100%, but number two, this Buffalo Bills team is not attacking vertically like they used to. Just 7.7% of Josh Allen's throws this season have traveled 20-plus air yards. That's around 29th, 29th in the league, 13 total this season. Again, that's 7.7%. Compare that to last season. That was 12.3%, 12.6% the year before, 146 So the theory of the pick of Gabriel Davis was – hey, this is one of the best vertical passers in a vertical passing offense, and he wins down the field as we saw in the playoffs. So if the down the field targets are not happening and you have a hobbled player who can't catch the ball or break in his routes, then this is going to equal failure. It's really that simple. I would say last week, the Gabe Davis call by me was the worst call I've had all year. I will confess to it. Looking back at the injury report, goes from limited to DNP to limited I can't have that. Like, he, he's clearly not healthy. Watch this stuff. This is not Gabe. Like, look at that route. I mean, that's not Gabe Davis. Like, we even for the Gabe Davis haters, like he's clearly he can't play right now. I don't know why they're they're playing him. I'm guessing the reason is because they have no wide receiver depth on the outside. They're trying to make Khalil Shakur a thing, but he's been struggling for the most part. Um, 
he's he's playing through an ankle injury that he probably has no business playing through and that's the reality of it so i'm looking for full practices from gabe davis if he's not if he's limited 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 all week i think i'm gonna have to be making a rankings adjustment the one that i did not make last week so i'll take my l here i I still don't think like in week 10 i don't think that gabe davis is going to be putting up the scores he's he's putting up right now he's like an every down player in still an, a really elite offense just it i'm mean, gonna watch the tape we can all we all have eyes here he's just not healthy right this is why we show the tape too because it's easy to say oh he's just running wind sprints out there he was jogging wind sprints out there yeah he can't turn he can't turn he can't move look at that right yeah. again i do think it's a two-parter like maybe most importantly it's this you know because the ravens had been torched in, in previous weeks the weather was a factor here too but the other part and these are some other numbers Josh Allen and this offense is a bit more horizontal and condensed than it has been in the past. I mean, last year, his average depth of throw was nine yards. It's been 9.8 all the way back to 2019. This year's at 7.1, Hayden. You know, in previous years, he was holding on to the football to hit those downfield targets at 2.93, 2.99 seconds. This year, he's getting the football out at 2.64 seconds. And I think part of that, too, is a, a worse offensive line maybe than he's had in previous years. So For sure. This is a two-parter, and I'm with you. We can't quit it. If he gets healthy and we get full practice and we watch and we pull these up for all of you in stats versus film as we go along and he's looking better and the production's still not there, Yeah, week I'll 10, week 11, week 12, though, yeah. like this can flip at any point because yeah. I think the reason that they are playing him is because they have no one else on the outside. Jake Kumro didn't play. Mm-hmm. They've gotten Khalil Shakur a little bit more involved as a slot player. Jameson Crowder now has an ankle injury is going to go on injury reserve. And Isaiah McKenzie has a head injury slash concussion. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no big outside wide receiver that is going to win here consistently for them. So again, they can't really sit Gabriel Davis. You can sit Gabriel Davis. The person that this helps though is Stefan Diggs. Like going the absolute yeah. moon. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Uh, matchup should be, uh, I thought the last week's matchup was was good on paper. Just the offensive line looks bad. The weather probably played into it, the injuries everywhere. I, I do think that the Jamison Crowder stuff should not be overlooked just because right now the Bills are top three in wide receiver usage. That was the same uh, like last year. Jamison Crowder being out, man. If Isaiah McKenzie can flirt with 75, 80% routes, like pick him up in your PPR leagues. I think that he's one of the biggest waiver wire ads if you're looking for flex options eventually in bye week hell. And since maybe you're shouting it, I do know that they changed play callers in Ken Dorsey. It's looked good so far. Like they are still mm-hmm. winning football games, but some of these concepts, especially near the goal line to Isaiah McKenzie, they are quicker. Like they are sprint mm-hmm. plays and they're getting him the ball swiftly. Um, let's talk about Devin Singletary too. Yep. He's owning this backfield over the last two weeks. He was awesome in week three, again, with a massive share, especially in the passing game. He was terrible in week four. He was dropping passes. He was fumbling the ball. Yet, unlike other teams that we see when players have miserable performances, they kept trusting him. I mean, he has 122 snaps over the last few weeks in comparison to 22 for Zach Moss and 12 for James Cook. With all that said, Hayden, though, he's still just the running back 27 in fantasy points per game because this is what the top back on the Buffalo Bills gives you. They've all been so bad. Like they had a drop or Devin Singletary had a drop, then a fumble. The next drive goes to Zach Moss, does absolutely nothing with it. They get James Cook going right after that. He has a brutal drop like five yards away from Josh Allen, man. Like I don't know what the builders are supposed to do. Like all three of them don't look good. So 
Uh, they, they've tried to make investments in this backfield, but all three of them kind of have just been mid. So I guess Devin Singletary will get more run. Um, I, I guess like the last knows like the Dawson Knox stuff, I really don't have a good feel for. Like he's also been on the injury report a lot. Um, he is negative uh, 0.94 touchdowns over expected after running hot last year. So maybe it's a regression stuff, but he's still the tight end seven in usage. So I, I don't have a good Dawson Knox answer either. He just hasn't been playing as well. As I thought um, last year, I thought his tape was good. They paid him well. So it's just been maybe it's the foot injury. Who knows? Um, at least he's in this offense. They got him a, le- a bit more vertical this past week. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he can be a vertical option here, especially if they have some more of these injuries, not just at slot wide receiver, but outside wide receiver. But again, I think in order to unlock him, he's so good of a blocker that they need better offensive line play. And they didn't really get that second tight end that they absolutely love. They've got Gilliam out there. But, you know, they tried to sign O.J. Howard to run more tight end sets, and, and that hasn't worked. So he's just too good at everything else still. But be as good as a tight end. He's still tight end seven in a route. So even though he is blocking and stuff, he's still out there in the route. He just hasn't been getting the ball. So, yeah, maybe maybe it's just a, a stone-cold miss by me. It's still early in the season. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll monitor. I'm curious about the Bills injury report this week. I'll, I will be monitoring very closely. A couple more teams left. Baltimore Ravens played the Buffalo Bills. Lamar Jackson was fourth in the NFL in that game, or coming into that game with 18 pass attempts of 20 plus yards. The Bills defensive shape, which we talk about every single week, plus the weather dropped his air yards per attempt to 4.7 mm-hmm. in week four. The second lowest in the league, only above Ryan Tannehill. Uh, I will say that that is a Rashad Bateman statement, but the other part of the Rashad Bateman statement, who's kind of been utilized not purely as a vertical player, but mostly as a vertical player in this game is that he also didn't play a lot in the second half. Yeah. And it's seemingly just from my eyes and John Harbaugh didn't say this. He's making a bunch of mistakes in the first half too, in terms of maybe not sitting in his routes, but also dropping some of these sloppy balls. He also left in a walking boot, I believe. Oh, didn't see that. So this is another thing to monitor. Uh, like the bills outside, wide, outside wide receivers. If Rashad Bateman's not out there, Good luck. I mean, Tylen Wallace, like Prochet, Demarcus like, Robinson, Demarcus Robinson. Like these are these are your answers. Like those that that those aren't the answers to the test. So, um, Devin Duvernay keeps making plays. Uh, he's popping up in all of my models. Uh, yeah, waiting for Rashad Bateman. He has not been a full time player this entire season. So I don't know if this has been something that's been bothering him the entire year, uh, or if they're. I thought it was just like that DeMarcus Robinson is a better blocker right now and that he was playing in those one wide receiver sets. Maybe they're holding back his routes because he's injured. We'll learn more on the Thursday and Friday show later in the week when we actually have the injury report because we don't do our preview shows on Tuesdays and Wednesdays when we have none of the information. I still believe in Rashad Bateman, the individual talent. Uh, So long-term, it's a long season. Yeah, we watched the tape. Yeah, but the people know. They they saw those routes. He was nasty a couple weeks ago. He was nasty. J.K. Dobbins also had two of like the easiest touchdowns you could ever score yeah. here. Um, and after I watched this game, cause I didn't get to watch it on Sunday, mm-hmm. the worst case outcome happened on John Harbaugh going for it on fourth down when Lamar Jackson threw the interception. Cause mm-hmm. worst case scenario is the other team takes over the ball at the, the two yard line. And then they have a 98 yards to go or 70 mm-hmm. yards to go or 60 yards to go. But then getting that extra 18 yards on top of it. Cause the pick. Yeah. Ooh, bad decision. I've ran the numbers here and I've always like I've always wanted to ask like a special teams coordinator. I looked at like the the chart where where teams start the drive, like how often they score points. And it really takes 
at like the one or two yard line because teams almost every single time try to run the ball out of it to just give yep. up some space. And like, those are like wasted plays. Cause like, it's like basically like goal line versus goal line. Everyone knows everyone's yep. running. So there's a huge difference between like starting at the five yard line versus like the one or two yard line. Um, so everything backfired. It is what it is. Even if they score a touchdown, I think that Josh Allen would have walked into a touchdown to put this thing into overtime. So, uh, and I loved his reasoning of like, Hey, if we kicked a field goal, it was four downs the rest of the way. And while maybe your defense was playing well in that game, they played like ass the other three games. And it's Josh Allen. Josh Allen doesn't give a shit about how well your defense is playing. <laughs> and when I said bad decision, that wasn't me saying that about John Harbaugh. It was saying about Lamar Jackson throwing it yeah. to the back corner. Trying to make a play. Because Devin yeah. Duvernay was open. He was trying to make a play. I get yeah. it. Yeah, I get it. Okay, two more. Atlanta Falcons. Big names. Cordero Patterson who's been highly efficient on his workload once again this season, um, is out. Injured reserve, four weeks. So we get some combination of Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley this week, and then Damian Williams potentially returning in week six, who was probably going to split workload in week one with Cordero Patterson, but has been totally forgotten. And that's why CPAT emerged as like a full-time player in that first contest. Um, Talk to me. What do you think about this backfield after you went back and rewatched it? I would be skeptical about just going nuts on the waiver wire for Tyler Algier. Caleb Huntley showed a little bit of something. They got him a lot of run in the second half once. Uh, I mean, Arthur Smith, Like I saw a clip of him. He's mic'd up. He's like, we're going to just run the piss out of the ball. And then they ran it 14 straight, straight times. Caleb Huntley's got a little more plums to him. He's got, got a little something to him. Uh, and... Yeah, I think this this will be a two-back committee. I think this next week it will be Tyler Algier, maybe on passing downs, Caleb Huntley more as the bruiser type. But even when CPAT was rocking and rolling, there was always somebody somewhat involved. CPAT was always like 50, 60% snaps. I don't think that e- either one of these backs are going to separate from each other. And then in comes Damian Williams next week. So Tyler Algier, I'll probably be ranking him as like the RB 28 or something like that. I think I would have like Naeem Hines ahead of him. Certainly some of the other waiver wire options we talked about ahead of him. If you need a a chance to have four weeks out of somebody that can be a flex option, I think that Tyler Algier would be the best bet about uh, among them. But Caleb Huntley was active for a reason, got some legit run in the second half. And Damian Williams was starting over both of them earlier before his rib injury. Pure eye test. I like how Caleb Huntley runs more than Tyler Algier. There's a little bit more burst there. There's a little bit more wiggle. There's more explosive plays, in my opinion. Tyler Algier's real explosive play was to the right side and happened because the offensive lineman or tight end held JOK and no one called it. And boom, it was just a free run to the outside. I like Kylie Puntley a little bit. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. going to go crazy about this. But again, like you said, Hayden, I like how you put it. Got some plums. Big time plums. Um, and to your point, we said this earlier in the show. The Browns sucked at stopping the run this mm-hmm. past weekend. Like they did not have Miles Garrett. They did not have Jadavion Clowney. They build their defensive line to be light on the defensive tackle spot. I loved Arthur Smith's call of saying, hey, we're just going to run it 14 times. And it worked. You know, it worked. The Damien Williams thing is, is the little shadow that people I think are forgetting yeah. about here because he was going to be a factor in week one and then he immediately got injured. And that's why CPAT had complete control in week one. And then immediately we saw Tyler Algier have what 30 to 40% of the snaps there in week two. So they want this to be a rotation moving forward, no matter what, it's not like a full on feature foundation back for whatever the running back insurance is going to be. Number one, 
and just to be completely clear, last week, Caleb Huntley, 9.3 expected half PPR points. Tyler Algier, 5.8. So Caleb Huntley came in there and got more usage because he got the two goal line opportunities. So um, I, 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 I would say, I would think for the most part, stay away a little bit. It's Kyle Pitts holding here. Speaking of Kyle Pitts, he has more targets of 20 plus yards down the field than he does zero to nine yards. He's got to reset. Yeah. Tough stuff. Um, yeah, they're not passing the ball at all. Uh, they were, they chose to run the ball Arthur Smith style. So yeah, it's going to be, he'll have some boom weeks. He will have lots of dud weeks and he will not be a top three fantasy tight end because there's just not enough volume. I don't care how good Kyle Pitts is. So, um, the only optimistic things, maybe if they're like, Hey, these other running backs aren't going to be as good. We're going to have to pass the ball. Um, and the, but, o- the yeah. only thing is too, if they change the offense, if Desmond Ritter ever gets run, but you and I are the only people in this world that seems like believes that we shouldn't see Desmond Ritter this week. Like everyone else wants Desmond Ritter to play right now. They're, I think they're eighth in EPA per pass, pass attempt. I mean, literally, literally what else could you ask for? Everyone's calling for Desmond Ritter to play right now. I think that's a bit nuts. Okay. I know we got to get out of here. Arizona Cardinals. So I got a bit upset this morning looking at these snap counts with Rondale Moore because he came in and he immediately saw 86% of the snaps. Meanwhile, Greg Dortch dropped down to 36% of the snaps after being really relevant on this team. Some might even argue more productive uh, in those three contests than we have seen from the end to Rondale Moore season last year. But then I looked deeper and it was from a comment on Twitter. Um, they weren't, it wasn't really a one-to-one replacement. The Cardinals kind of just changed how they utilized this because Rondo Moore played on the outside like 87% mm-hmm. of the time in week four. What the hell can we take from that moving forward? Because I don't know if Cliff is utilizing these wide receivers even close the same way that he used them last year. Yeah, they still got him some like jet sweeps and some of that type of motion. Um yeah, I don't I don't really have a good answer. And even if I did have a good answer for this week, I think everything changes when New Hopkins comes back in two weeks. Uh just last week, Rondale Moore was the wide receiver 50 on 95% routes, which is much higher than it was previously. Gray Dorch season low, 1.2 expected half PPR points. So I think Rondell Moore is like a wide receiver five. In the meantime, Marquise Brown still clearly the number one. And then Zach Ertz usage is just elite right now. He's t- tight end three. So um, it very, very weird how they use Rondell Moore because it's kind of both. both Pure ways. outside wide receiver. Like, yeah, and, the, and, and they got him on some so other things. So many snaps. Embracing routes. Yeah, right. His A dot is going to be much higher than it was last year. I think at 9.9. But if you go and watch these, the first throw to the outside was man-to-man coverage with Dante Jackson. And it was just a heave for Kyler Murray to get yeah. out of pressure because they sent an exotic look up front and they had a safety over top. That pass fell five yards out of bounds. So it doesn't really count as a downfield target for Rondale Moore. The second one was true single high. He was matched up against JC Horn, who kind of rode him two yards out of bounds and the pass was caught two yards out of bounds along the right sideline. Now, if you... Also, go and watch some other of Rondell Moore's routes. They are a bit more downfield than they were last year because he truly was just a manufactured touch player last season. I have a crazy theory for you. We have seen Marquise Hollywood Brown as a pure left wide receiver for the vast majority of snaps this year. Immediately, once Rondell Moore came back in, he ran a good chunk of his routes as a true outside right wide receiver. 
What if it's not DeAndre Hopkins when he returns as the left outside wide receiver? What big if slot? big slot with Zach Ertz and we get all of the speed and the juice, even if it's not perfect for Rondale Moore, but he and Marquise Brown as the outside wide receivers. I don't know if anyone has mentioned this yet. I noticed there was some beat writer speculation of maybe them running those routes this offseason, but maybe that was also because of the first six weeks without DeAndre Hopkins, and so they're trying to get these guys used to outside reps. Who knows? But that would be a huge departure from who the Cardinals and Cliff have been in the past. But if this team has lack speed, which it has lack speed, that would be an interesting wrinkle. That would be fascinating. What this team needs is somebody to run a vertical route. So I think that's Marquise Brown for the most part. Um, I don't think DeAndre Hopkins is going to be like some vertical player by any means. He's going to be the contested. Maybe he is a, a good power slot option later. Uh, that would be interesting. The easy answer is Newt goes back to the left. Marquise Brown plays as the vertical slot like we've yeah. seen them traditionally do. And then whatever the hell happens Rondale. at right wide receiver. Yeah. Um, in the meantime... Marquise Brown is up to wide receiver nine usage. So he's got a good matchup. He's on the wide receiver one borderline. Okay. That's going to oh, do it. No, this will actually do it. James Connor is fourth in the NFL and inside the five yard op- opportunities. Ooh. He only has one touchdown last year was the exact opposite. That stuff will even out long-term. He's been playing through an injury. Hasn't looked as good in my opinion. I think eventually that will even out. The reverse order makes a show last longer. It's scientifically proven because we didn't spend as much time on those names previously. So we had to do it today. Uh, Thank you all for being here. Jonathan, Connor, Michael, Lito, Dave, name. If you are not subscribed, hit that button. Thumbs up. Do all the good stuff. We'll be back here on Thursday with Hayden's tiers and rankings. Friday with our guys, the 20 players that we think define week five. Appreciate you all being here. Subscribe on the podcast feed as well. If you've made it this far in the podcast feed, take five seconds after this, write a little review on Apple, leave us five stars. The algorithm would love you and we would love I mean, you even more. We have all these subs. Then we have like 400 damn podcast reviews. This is outrageous. Go put some effort in, please. <laughs> subs though. We do love you. Thank you so much. Up the villa. We will talk to y'all soon. See ya. <laughs>